Welcome to another inspirational message from Bridge Church Melbourne. Awesome. So whenever I think about the supernatural life, I think about the living water that is the Holy Spirit. Pure, perfect, without blemish. You know, when, when we, we, we have a commodity here that we take for granted, and that's, you know, obviously clean water. There is something so refreshing in the natural where we drink clean water. But often when we don't drink clean water, what can happen uh, can be very disastrous. So for example, in 1996, when I was 11 years old, I went to El Salvador, not for the first time because I was born there, but the first time I'd gone back since we'd moved to Australia. I was so parched. I was so thirsty. Um, I walk in, say hi to my auntie, walk through the house, go straight to the kitchen, get a glass, turn the tap on, fill the glass up with water. And I noticed, gee, the water is very white. It's bright white, right? And something, oh, that's a bit weird. But then it went clear. Didn't think anything of it. Sculled the water down. Literally like a comedy movie, my auntie walks in. She's like, make yourself at home, my son. Uh, if you want some water, drink. Um, you know, drink from the filtered water here that's over there. Whatever you do, do not drink from the tap. <laughs> it's like, okay, I haven't drank from the tap at all. And I'm, now I'm afraid. Why shouldn't I drink from the tap? Well, there's bacteria. It's like um, a lot of parasites in the water. Probably give it about three or four hours later. My stomach starts speaking in tongues and crying out for God, for mercy of God. And that night in the middle of the night, I thought my stomach was going to explode, kind of like the movie Alien. I thought actually literally something was going to come out of my stomach. So I go to the toilet and then my auntie, it's almost like my auntie would warn me after the fact. Oh, by the way, the water's turned off overnight. So try to avoid going to the toilet. All I can say is that I'm glad I wasn't the one that had to walk in afterwards and that it was my auntie and my uncle. But it taught me something. See, the source, the very thing that I was looking for was polluted. And when the source is polluted, the desired effect doesn't take place. See, for me, I wanted my thirst to be satisfied, but I drank water that was polluted. And so actually the consequences were actually very disastrous afterwards. And it's the same for many of us in church. See, many of us have come to different churches in our, in, in our time, and the water that you've, been, that you've been given has been polluted. That could be because of abuse of power. That could be because of disappointments within the covenant family. Lots of hurts that have taken place because you've come in to encounter the power of God, but you've experienced the brokenness of man. See, my experience growing up, and I've shared this with you before, you know, my experience of the prophetic and, and the tongues was actually a negative one. I used to always see prophetic as being a name and shame thing where, where a leader would get up and literally shame people, use their own agenda to get at someone and then mask it as though it's God himself that's giving that word. And then, you know, we heard things like, you know, speaking in tongues is from the devil, prophetic words from the devil. So I came very scared into Bridge Church. In fact, if it was up to Sonia and I, we would never have come to a Pentecostal church because of everything that we had heard, because of the fear, because we had drank polluted water. But there was something different when we came into this church 10 years ago. I noticed that the very words that were being spoken, the prophetic words, were not shameful words at all. They were speaking life. Yes, in speaking life, there were things that the Holy Spirit revealed, but not once have I received a word from a pastor or a leader that actually made me feel condemned. In fact, it drew me, made me want to draw closer to God. And as I realized that for many of us who have had that experience, where we received that polluted water, I, 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 I realized that that was never God's intention for us. See, we read in John 3, 16 and 17, 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We know that verse. But then, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. When we fear something, we try to manipulate it. We abuse it. But the reality is a supernatural life is about submission to God and his agenda, not trying to manipulate him into my agenda. It's about doing relationship with him, not for what I can get out of him, but because I want to draw closer to him. You know, I mentioned a few weeks ago that um, I once heard it said, the biggest issue that we can find is that we get so caught up in the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we forget about the Holy Spirit of the gifts. And, and the reality is that the Holy Spirit is made available to all of us, not just a select few, but to each and every one of us. And sadly, some that have not had an encounter try to manufacture something out of something that they've not had. And so what comes out is distorted, polluted water. And the sad reality is that the reason why people do this is because they've lost the heart behind what the supernatural life is all about. And that's it. It's all about love. Everybody say, turn to your neighbor and say, it's all about love. Turn to the other name and say, I love you. No, that's a bit awkward. Don't do it. Especially if it's not your spouse. I don't want to create problems here. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 8 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. And then we move to verse 13. And now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you again, God, because you're in this place. Lord, I just thank you, God that the very heart of the good news is about your love for us. Nothing more, nothing less. And so God, as we understand what it is to live in a supernatural life, God, I pray that each and every one of us will have our own fresh encounter with you. Go before us. Let it be your words through me. In Jesus' name, amen. And so when we hear this scripture, it's very synonymous with weddings. In fact, I've got a couple of weddings coming up. One of our very own, Sarah and Hayden, are getting married in four weeks. So good. Uh, see, it, it pays to serve in church, isn't it? You come in and you meet someone. Okay, anyway, to the single people, you're welcome. But it's interesting. I, I remember like when you, whenever you read the scripture, if you just read it on its own and not in the context and you actually miss the intended meaning, it's funny because th this love chapter is sandwiched between the scripture that talks about the spiritual gifts, that talks about the one body, many parts, and then in chapter 14, it talks about prophecy and speaking in tongues. See, love is the central theme of a supernatural life. Church is the vessel that God will use to extend his love to all the communities around that don't know him. But there is no use in seeking spiritual gifts. Here's what, what, what Paul is saying. There is no point seeking all these things if love is not the motivation behind it. Yeah. Yeah. See, love brings power. Acts 1.8, you know, another famous scripture that tells us, uh, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth.
Gifts without love is nothing but a show. Gifts without love misleads. It misrepresents. It causes hurt and mistrust. It distorts God's intention for the church. And so when you approach the lost and sinners with love, you are then able to allow the Holy Spirit to do what he, only He can do, and that is convict sinners to turn to Jesus. Very strong word. You think, oh, but love isn't convict bad? We'll get to that in a second. So John chapter 16, verses 7 to 8. So we had Pastor Stacy uh, last week share brilliantly on this, uh, this topic. It says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. We're going to focus on the convict the world concerning sin part here. The Holy Spirit is a helper. He's not a judge. Jesus talks about here that it's an advantage for Jesus to go. See, he convicts, but we need to understand that what the Bible refers to as convict is very different to how we understand convict. See, sadly, the church has made conviction about it's my role to judge and go up to someone that's never encountered the love of God and say, you're going to hell. What you're doing is wrong. You know, you should change this. You shouldn't do that, right? And we try to guilt and shame people into Christ. But if someone has never encountered the love of God, how can they understand they need to change? See, we're not called to be the judge. I love the way that Billy Graham says it. It's God the Father's job to judge. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, and it is my job to love. Paul says it in Romans 10, 13 to 15. Where am I? All these little highlighted things always get lost. Here we go. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So someone has to call on the Lord. They can't be guilty to do that. They need to feel that encounter in their heart and call on the Lord. But how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Good news. Good news. What's one of the uh, uh, annoying things in this day and age is you turn uh, at any given time the news and it's all bad news. It's all horrible stuff, right? And if you think about it, if we just present God as you're, you're doing wrong, you're going to hell, wrong, wrong, wrong. For a lot of these people, they're living in that lifestyle already because in their own mind, they already feel like they're not worth it. So you're only confirming to them what they already believe. There's nothing good about that. There's no good news in that, right? But when we think about the Holy Spirit, conviction is different. See, when the word convict is in the scripture, what it means is that someone who's convicted, someone who's never encountered the love of God, all of a sudden realize that the life that they are living, that they are worth so much more than what they're settling for. They recognize their worth, they no longer settle for less, and it actually makes people want to change, not have to change. See, I remember the time when I rededicated my life to God. There was a season where um, you know, I sort of spiraled the wrong direction and I had people constantly telling me that I was going to go to hell. Um, that was so uplifting, so encouraging. Um, <laughs> I would find myself saying, good, I'll see half of you there because the whole church is corrupt. The whole church um, you know, is, is all hypocrites. So we'll, we'll all go together. It never made me want to change. But then I remember there was a worship night. It was 10 people, one guitar. The song that was being sung is I Need You More. And I remember the line that said, for I, because I never want to go back to my old life. It was in that moment the Holy Spirit convicted me that the life I was living was selling myself short for what he had for me. 
And it was in that moment, not someone telling me what I, that I was condemned and going to hell. It was in the moment where I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit in my heart that I decided to slip up my hand and never be the same again. And it was in that moment that I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, don't look left, don't look right, don't look back, but look at the cross. When you look left, you'll never add up. When you look right, people will always let you down. When you look back, the enemy will tell you that I could never use you. But when you look to the cross, you see love, you see hope, you see grace, you see mercy, you see redemption, you see a new life. I am convinced beyond a reasonable doubt that I will never meet someone in heaven that I've guilted to be there, but someone that I have presented God to convict their heart to change. You know, one of the, the, the beautiful examples that we, that we find um, that really reflects the love of God actually comes in children. So I remember every year we've got a tradition around Christmas time where we go and look at the Christmas lights at the Maya Christmas windows and, and we just put a couple of packs together and we just feel led by, by God. Is anyone there a homeless person that we can just spend a bit of time with? Not just throw coins out or throw something, but actually spend a little bit of time with them. Um, and just, you know, bless them with something. Yes, it's small, but, you know, it's in the heart of it that God can make something grow. And I remember last year, you know, Lexi being a little bit older to understand what's going on. She's, she was three at the time. I remember we, 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 we do a pack for one man and one for one woman. And we're here with both these people, homeless people. Now, I've done it in the past, and many of us have made assumptions about why people are there. Like we think somehow, you know, we, we, oh, it's because that person wants to do drugs. It's because that person never listens. Or it's because of that. We try to assume the role of the Holy Spirit to understand that, right? But no one ever actually stops and pays attention. So many people walk past these people, make judgments of them. But I remember, you know, we stopped at one person. And, and Lexi, I'll never, ever forget. Before we go, she goes, Mommy and Daddy. She turns around, she goes and hugs both of them. I didn't tell her to hug them. I didn't tell her not to hug them. I felt very comfortable in that because what she was doing in that moment she was actually showing love to someone that society has said that you're below everyone else. That even people in the church have said, oh, you deserve that because you're on drugs. But the beautiful thing about that is for that moment in time, I remember particularly with the woman, for that moment in time, she felt worth. She felt you're not just the scum of society. You're actually fearfully and wonderfully made. There is a child here that thinks the world of you. And mommy and daddy were so proud. That was a moment that was so proud. We even ignored the fact that she had a tantrum after because we didn't give her ice cream. Actually, I might have given her a bit of my ice cream. But it was beautiful to see that children actually show us the very love of God, which is why Jesus says it's important for us to be like children because there is purity, there is innocence, there is something that is the embodiment of God himself. Which on a little tangent, it was awesome that we had Mark a few weeks ago share about what happens in kids. Because what happens there, these kids are being taught in the ways of God. They're not being looked after. That isn't, that isn't babysitting. That's church. And a lot of these kids are, are, are hearing and feeling and encountering the Holy Spirit and then taking it to their, to their schools. I was going to say workplaces. If they're working young, we don't condone child labor here. But, um, you know, it's just beautiful to see that. And I encourage you, if you're not on a team, you get to be a part to disciple our next generation who are going to be bolder, more fearless than what our generation is. You get to be a part of that. If I wasn't leading the campus, I'd be there right now. But it's just so awesome that we see that because the Holy Spirit will use anyone. But what's the biggest obstacle to seeing the Holy Spirit convict people through us? Well, when we believe that the Holy Spirit only works in the church, and when we believe that the only, like, and when I mean in the church, I mean physically just in the church, um, and that when we believe that the Holy Spirit only operates through the paid staff or the key leaders, that can become the biggest obstacle. Galatians 5.25 tells us that if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. See, when you receive the Holy Spirit, 
When you encounter the love, the grace, the power of the Holy Spirit, you just can't keep it in. Everywhere you go, it just leaks. You don't even have to say anything. People just see something different about you. He goes with you everywhere. From the moment that you leave this building to the moment that you come into it, it's not like as you walk out the door, Holy Spirit's like, okay, I'm done with you. You're on your own. No, he's with you. And when you encounter him, you find that people are drawn to you and they ask, what's different about you? There's something different about you. And see, whenever we think of the supernatural life, there are two elements. The super takes place in the natural elements of our life in our schools, in our workplaces. I mean, I remember um, in, in, in a time when I, I had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I was working with young people at the time. Then all of a sudden, you know, I'm with people and I'm starting to feel compelled to just share the love of God to them and actually encourage and prophesy, speak life. And, and I'm like, well, wait a second, this is a bit weird, I should be this in church. No, no, we don't have to make it weird. If God puts a word on your heart for someone, then you speak that word to someone. If God puts on your heart to pray for someone, then you, know, you don't have to sit in the middle of your office and start speaking in tongues. It's not about that. You know, God is about wherever you are, He will use the means of your heart to get His message across. We don't need to be creative. He's the creative one that works through us. You know, in his book, The Supernatural Life, Pastor Corey says, so often we're looking for the spectacular where God is found in the simple situations we find ourselves in. 5,000 people were fed because a little boy brought his lunch. Jesus didn't make everything rain from heaven. He just took what someone brought to feed himself. He partnered with him. He blessed 5,000 people. So wherever you are in life, it's not about being spectacular. It's what do you have? What do you do? Bring the Holy Spirit into that, into that place. You know, Pastor Mike Connell on Friday night um, at our revival night was talking about that when he was a teacher... News had gone out that some kids wanted to create, I guess, um, like the Ouija board, like Sion's wanting to, to sort of dabble in the, in the occult. And he's like, that's not going to happen in my school. So every morning before anyone else would come, he would simply just go in and pray over every seat in his classroom. He would just pray that the Holy Spirit will be there and that the prayers will be there. And then, you know, he didn't think anything of it until probably a few months doing that every single day. One of the teachers comes in and is like, What's, there's something about your classroom. What are you talking about? Every time, like, I get your students, they're so rowdy and they're crazy, but whenever I walk past and I see them in this room, there is, they're peaceful. They're, there's peace. What is, it, what is it about that? He's like, you don't want to know. <laughs> He's like, really, you don't want to know? No, no, tell me, tell me. No, you really don't want to know. Are you sure you want to know? Yes. So he starts saying, every single morning I come in and I pray that the very power of the Holy Spirit will impact this room so that nothing else that's not from God will be in this place. The woman's like, that's crazy. It's like, I told you you didn't want to know, but it works. All right? How many of us have gone into work thinking, God, I pray for my workplace, I pray for my colleagues, I pray for this very office, as opposed to, why am I doing this job? I hate my job. Acts 1.8 tells us, I should know this one off by heart, but there's so many going through it, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, everywhere, wherever you go, not just the church. Witnesses in your sphere of influence. When you are overflowing what God has done in your life, you can't help but share the goodness of God. Not called to, we're not called to contain it. Whenever I think of stories like uh, the one that we heard of our amazing Evelyn, you know, who was healed from a cancerous tumour, I don't imagine her going back to work. Oh, how was your weekend? I was okay. I'd be like, look, it's gone. I don't know what happened. I didn't believe. 
You know, in fact, I try to get my logic in, but I don't know, but miracles are normal because you know what? I'm healed, I'm changed. That speaks for itself. See, again, in, in, in the same chapter of the supernatural life, Corey mentions that an impression of the Holy Spirit without an expression of the Holy Spirit will leave depression in your spirit. Let me read that again. An impression of the Holy Spirit without an expression of the Holy Spirit will leave depression in your spirit. What does that mean? Well, you'll, you, you'll sit there wondering, well, why? Oh, God is good, but why is it nothing happening? Because there's no expression of, of God in your life. A lot of people won't even know that you believe in God. You know, I remember again, you know, um, during that season of being backslidden, and apart from the fact that I kept getting told that I was going to go to hell uh, many times, not many people said that there was redemption. I kept getting told I was going to hell. There was one particular person who would tell me about how good God was, but then would follow about how he wanted to end his life because life was horrible. And so for me, as someone that wasn't a believer, I was trying to reconcile. How, reconcile, how can God be so good if you want to go and kill yourself? Whereas I understood what joy is when I went overseas where there are people that literally have nothing and yet have such a fullness in God because the fullness of God is not dependent on what happens on the outside. You know, it's a very interesting thing that when people just focus on what they don't have and, and, and not realize who they have operating in their heart, they live very lonely, depressing lives. And you know what? It, it, it's very isolating, but that was never what God intended when he sent the Holy Spirit. That's why we read in the Acts Church, it says that they did everything together. We were never meant to live in isolation. They all proclaimed the name of Jesus. It wasn't just a select few. See, the supernatural life is not just the pastor's role. It's not just leadership's role. It's each and every one of us who have authentically encountered the power of the Holy Spirit. We all live and we are all guided by him as our helper. So what does this actually practically look like? Well, whenever I think of anything in the Bible, I always go back to the main man himself, Jesus. See, let's look at Jesus' example. So there's a little bit of reading. So we're gonna, I'm going to ask that you turn to John chapter 4. Here's one of my favorite scriptures because it really embodies what the supernatural life is about. And so this, this scripture should appear behind me, um, but we're going to read verses 1 to 26. Bear with me if I don't pronounce words right, and even getting used to the glasses, but here we go. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, key point right there, Jesus didn't do everything. He empowered disciples to actually operate and empowered them and gave them the authority to do the things from God. Um, where are we? He left Judea and departed for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that he's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. 
Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. I always love that verse. (laughs) (laughs) Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. It's a lot to read. But when we think about verse 4, it says, Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Do you know, theologians and historians tell us that such was the divide between the Jews and the Samaritans, even though to get to Jerusalem, it would have been quicker to go through Samaria, the Jews would actually walk all around the Jordan, walk around to avoid it. Such was the hate for the Samaritans. So it's interesting where it says here that Jesus had to go there. In the natural, Jesus didn't have to go there. He could have walked around like everyone else did. But he was compelled to go there. Because you see, when you live a supernatural life, the Holy Spirit will often guide you places where others wouldn't even dare to go. And so he walks here, he gets there, he serves here, he gets to the well, and then the woman comes along at the heat of day. Again, historians tell us that women would draw water at 6 a.m. or like early in the morning at sunrise, uh, in the cool of sunrise or in the cool of sunset. So the very fact that she was there at the hottest time of the day says something is not quite right. She was an outcast. She was someone that no one wanted to associate with. And we'll find out a little bit later as we read in the story why that is. And yet Jesus speaks to her and that, that baffles her on two fronts. Wait a second, why are you speaking to me? You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. They don't talk. And men don't talk to women. In fact, one of the well-known Pharisees of the day said, I would rather burn the Torah than teach it to a woman. And yet here God was, you know, Jesus himself, breaking those cultural and demographic divides. So when the Holy Spirit guides you, you not only will go to places that others wouldn't go, you would break the stereotypes of the cultural divides that society would tell you you shouldn't go through. So here he is speaking to her. And then verses 10 to 15, as they're talking about the exchange of the water, the woman didn't understand. She, under, she only understood it in the natural. What are you talking about? How can you give me water? You don't have anything to draw water with. But Jesus wasn't talking about the natural water. He was talking about the living water, the thirst quenching water, which is the power of the Holy Spirit. See, the world, they seek temporary satisfaction. They drink water that's slightly polluted. But you know, it quenches for a moment. There's fame, popularity, power, all these things that satisfy for a brief moment in time. But kind of like when you eat really fatty food and then you're constantly thirsty, that's what happens. They just keep longing for more and more and more. Is it a surprise that some of our biggest demographics of people that commit suicide are people in affluent countries? Is it any surprise that you see celebrity time and time again, drug overdose, suicide? Because you know what? No matter what the world offers, that water will never satisfy. But the power of the Holy Spirit, the living water will satisfy you every single day all the days of your life. And I remember reading this scripture and thinking, wow, Jesus, it's a bit condemning when you say, hey, go get your husband. Oh, wait a second. Um, 
you've got five husbands and, and you're shacking up with a guy that's not even your husband. I actually used to read that from my view of conviction, which is guilt and shame. But then when I understood the context, I understood the Holy Spirit's conviction. See, again, theologians tell us that in that day and age of when the woman was living in Samaria, women were not allowed to divorce men. So that means that five guys gave up on this woman. Five guys said, you are not worth anything. You are worthless to me. And the sixth guy wasn't even gonna take a risk. He wasn't even gonna get married to her because he already saw this is a sinking ship. So when Jesus says to her, you are right, what are you saying is, you were worthless. You've encountered me. I see your worth. I see your value. You will never be the same again. The women's empowerment came from Jesus himself. He stood up for women. We see it many times again throughout the Gospels. But when the Holy Spirit takes you places where you see brokenness, God positions you there because you are the vessel that the Holy Spirit will use to give living water to bring people back to life. So you see, the conviction of the Holy Spirit is not pointing out what people already know. I can imagine on that day, the woman walking, thinking, here we go again, another day. I don't even know I'm in this abusive relationship. I've, got, I've lost my family. I've lost my friends. I'm nothing. I'm worthless. What would have happened if Jesus just came and said, hey, you're worthless. You're nothing. It was already, it's already confirming what she believed in her heart. But when he says to her, when you drink my water, you'll never thirst again. Basically, he's saying from this moment on, you are a child of God. Yes, I know that people hurt you. And, and, and whilst God didn't intend that to happen, Genesis 50, 20, what they intended for harm, I will make good. I'm gonna raise you up to the worth that I see you. And that's the truth of many of us here today. There are some that have never encountered the love of God that feel like the woman at the well, feeling condemned and, and, and just rejected. And then there are others of you that have gone into church and have had bad experiences and have drank that polluted water and you feel, well, I'm never gonna offer anything again because I have hurt, I've been hurt. But can I tell you that today, today is a different day because you're gonna encounter the living water of the Holy Spirit. You will not be what you were yesterday. You will not be the worth that you determined you were yesterday. You will be who He says you are. That is a child of God. But it's interesting that in that moment, you know, we have this exchange and, and rather than receive what God is doing, she tries to debate Jesus about theology. She starts talking about, you know, we worship here, the Jews worship here. And, and what Jesus does at that point, basically says to her, look, it's, it's irrelevant now because the day is coming. It doesn't matter where you're from. doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter what you've believed. The Holy Spirit is for everyone. And notice that when we talk about Jesus speaking in Acts 1.8, he doesn't just say, you've got to go back to Israel. He says to Israel, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. Gone are the divides of the righteous elite. Everyone can access the living water of, of, of the Holy Spirit through accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Jesus pointed to redemption, not condemnation. I'm going to invite the band to come up. So what was the result of this encounter? One word, Revival. See, we read in 39, verses 39 and 42 of chapter 4 in John, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you have said that we believe. We have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. I'm just going to give her the name Mary. You know, Mary goes back. 
And I can just think of some of the people, the people that have been sort of talking bad behind Mary. I think, wait a second, there's something different about Mary. See, we often think that we need to lead with the words first, but often people ask the question, what's different about you? And then that actually opens up for you to speak because people will see the fruit leaking out of your life long before they hear the word that you say. See, a lot of the people that used to, um, that, that I used to see, and even myself, I used to be this person that would go to church and tell people to go to church, but my life wouldn't reflect that. And I remember one person once said to me, why would I ever want to go to church if I want to be just like you? Wow. That's a very good question. Because you know what? I went to church to tick a box. I didn't understand relationship and encounter. And so here we have it. A whole community was transformed because first they saw something different about the woman and they heard it. And then they went and they encountered Jesus for themselves and then they asked Him to stay. See, when revival hits, when you live a supernatural life, people want to be around you. People don't want, they don't feel like, you know, that you're a burden or you're weird. People wanna be around you. They wanna encounter the very thing that you're encountering. Which begs the question, if people are casting you away, how valid is the encounter you've had with the Holy Spirit? They saw the power of God move. They wanted to experience it. Demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit leads people to encounter with the Holy Spirit. It's all about Him. It's always been all about Him. It's never been about my eloquence. It's never been about how much I can just sort of make it nice and fluffy. You know, it was in a dingy boat that Jesus calmed the storm. God doesn't use the flashy things of the world to prove a point. He uses ordinary people like you and me to show beyond the reasonable doubt that the power of the Holy Spirit is as alive today as it was back in Acts chapter two. He guides you. He gives you wisdom and discernment. There's no need to fear. The supernatural lives leads others to share their testimonies. You know, I shared with you um, back in April when we had our baptisms, quick tangent, we've got our next baptisms coming up in September. And if you haven't been baptised, we'll talk more about that in coming weeks. But I remember one of the people that I baptised was my very first client as a youth worker. There was nothing flashy. I didn't tell him, hey, you know, we weren't even allowed to mention the name God or Jesus. But he would notice that God would give me words of prophecy. I would just encourage him. And I would say, hey, man, I just want to give you an encouragement. I encourage him. I wouldn't stop and go, oh, God's downloading on me now. And the Lord has telleth me to tell. No, no. I just looked at him, hey, mate, I know that you're in a, in a situation with generations this is where it's led you to be. But can I tell you, man, like, there is so much more on your life than what you're settling for right now. And he'd be like, but why? No one else sees that. Why is that? Bingo. Well, let me tell you why. Every day I pray that God will give me words to empower people like you because society have written you off. But I know that there is hope. I know that, you know what? If God can use someone like me, one of the most negative people on earth, to do some incredible things, I know that he can change you. Yeah. Ten years later, he took... And I baptized him. How awesome, like for me, what an awesome privilege it is. I wasn't a pastor back then. In fact, I was broken. I had left. I, I, I knew that God was real, so I hadn't left this time. I had already rededicated my life, but I'd been hurt by the church. I just wanted to find a place. I wasn't even really regularly going to a church. But yet God used me there to plant seeds that 10 years on, I would encounter His love and grace and be a conduit of one of his moves. Church, we need to ensure that our well is clean. There is such a healing atmosphere in this place right now. You know, Mike Maiden, when he was here at our staff discipleship, 
he prophesied over, over me and I, and I received that prophecy for our church. He said that in our church, in our ministry, there are gonna be people that are suspicious of church, but they will never be suspicious of love. And so in praying for months, we hadn't even announced we'd be doing a supernatural life. But the moment that they, it was announced that there was a supernatural life series beginning, God said that today's sermon was gonna be one about this, what the conviction looks like, but that we're gonna do things a little bit different today. So you can't encounter the power of God and go back to the life that you lived and the hurts that you lived. And there's a word that God put in my heart that's specific to us, and that was spiritual detox. See, every week we do the same thing. You know, we, we, we invite people, and it's very important, very powerful. We invite people to receive Jesus for the very first time. And, and, and initially I had planned to do that, but God is saying, I want something bigger. There are so many people like the woman at the well that one, haven't encountered me, but two, have had such a, a distorted, polluted version of what I've intended. I wanna heal everyone's heart today. And so in a few moments, we're gonna pray. Nothing radical, nothing crazy. Just like for me on that day, in one room, one guitar. See, my heart would be, not because of anything Sonia and I do, not because of anything that, that Pastor Corey or Simone do, but because the presence of God is here, that each of you would come in, not to receive the water through my words, but that the moment you walk in through those doors, you encounter the atmosphere and the power of God. You know, I'm just a vessel in this season. God knows how long we've got. I'm not announcing anything, but there's some relief or some. But time will, will come where God will call us to something else. But my biggest heartbreak would be that whenever that time comes, whether it be five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, or because we go to heaven, whatever it is, you know how much it would break my heart if all these years, many of you still hold on to that bitterness of what happened in the past. I had to let it go. I understand. I understand what it was like. I got really burnt in church, and that's a story for another time. I got really heartbroken. I became suspicious of church. And I walked into this church 10 years ago at City Campus. And initially, like, like I've, and you've heard me share this many a time before, I would be the guy that would go into the resource center. And whenever I would see a pastor or I would see a leader, I would pick up my phone and pretend that I was on the phone to someone. I don't want, no, no, they, they just want my money. They just want, oh, they just want to use and abuse everything that I do. They just want me to serve everywhere. And then I remember going to that life group just up the road, Taylor's Lakes. Jennifer Nelson, one of the most beautiful people you'll ever meet, and she's gone to be in heaven. Taylor's no bells or whistles. She was just a girl that just encouraged and said, God bless you. And, and I remember going the very first day, and then the very next day I get this massive message of why her life was so much better because she got to meet me that day. And I remember telling my friend who invited me, Mario, who invited me, he goes, yeah, man, that's Jen. She just loves encouraging everyone. And it wasn't like empty words. It wasn't just wax apples that all beautiful and glossy on the outside and nothing in the inside. They were, because I, I, I remember showing Mario, he's a, good, he's a good friend of mine, and, and he was showing me, actually, there'd be prophetic words individually to each and every one of us. And Sonia, at the time, she'd been still in church, still really hurt by what was happening in church. I said, Son, you've got to come to this, this connect group. I mean, I, I'm still a bit unsure about the doctrine, but you've got to come to this connect group because you know what? There is nothing fake about the person that's leading. And she wasn't a person that was on platform. 
She was someone that was more than content to just do what she did as a, as a connect group leader. So Sonia comes along, same deal. She gets a message, this massive essay of a message about why God's gonna use her. And then one day we're together, we're about to get married. We just decided to call Bridge Church home. And she says to us, and I've shared this story, but I share it again because, again, it's about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. She says to us, one day, you and Sonia, God are gonna, is gonna use you guys to bring change in the community that you're in. You've got such good hearts, you're called to be pastors. And I remember looking at her saying, Jen, you are crazy. I don't, I don't want title. I don't want to serve. No, I don't trust the church. You just say that to everyone. She's like, I don't say that to everyone. I feel God is impressed on my heart. And then she passed away in 2011. And I'll never forget, God had put on my heart to share some encouraging words to her. And I didn't. And, and, and one day, and, I, and, I, and, I, and we can be vulnerable in church. So I'm going to be vulnerable with you, if that's okay. Is that all right? God had put words on my heart, but I thought, no, God, I don't, oh, this, your Holy Spirit, you just want to judge me. Oh, I don't like the church. No, I'm not going to do it. And then one day, I'd driven my mum home from work, and literally I'd driven like 45 minutes. The second mum closed the door, my phone is ringing on speaker, and with iPhones, you can't necessarily wait 45 minutes to automatically dial someone. I pull my phone out. It's got her name, and I hung up straight away the church had done me wrong. And that Sunday, I find out she goes to be with the Lord. I'll tell you what. I said, God, open up the opportunity for me to serve you so that never has to happen again. That I can bring words of love and not regret. That week of a funeral, we get a phone call from, from Pastor Jesse Winchester, who's our Bangkok campus pastor now, but he was a generations pastor at the time. And he says, look, you're part of this couple's connect group and the leaders who are gonna lead it are no longer gonna lead it. You're our last hope. If you don't lead this group, we're gonna have to shut it down. And Sonia's like, we're not gonna lead it. We're not gonna lead it. I said, Jesse, it would be our privilege to lead this connect group. And she hits me on the head, why would you say that? And our Sonia, right, she's so innocent. Anyway, I won't go. And I said, because this is what Jen would have wanted. But I don't know how to lead, neither do I. But you know what? There was something about that girl that was authentic about the power of the Holy Spirit in her. Let's just do what she did. Let's go to the source and allow Holy Spirit to give us the wells of living water and let's just love on people. So when people say, you're so encouraging, I wasn't always this way. I was skeptical. I was cynical. I was so negative on myself. But at that moment, things shifted. It's nothing extraordinary. It's just that, you know what? Because of people in our covenant family that spoke life. The chains were broken. I was no longer suspicious of church. If people wanna hurt one another, that's on them. But you know what? My God tells me to forgive and move forward and trust in Him. So you know what? I seek God, I look to the cross. And like I've shared many a time, my biggest heartbreak is that there are so many of you here that are still holding on to something that happened so long ago that you were refusing to allow God's love and grace to permeate through you and use you to bring people that are waiting for their breakthrough on the other side of your breakthrough. But because we're holding on to the suspicious of, of church and not allowing the living water to live through us, it just becomes a blockage. 
Thank you for joining us for this message today. It is an incredible privilege to share with you the Word of God and we trust that you've been blessed by listening. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today we want to extend an invitation to you to begin the faith journey of following Jesus. The Bible teaches us every one of us have been created for relationship with God. Sin has separated every one of us from that relationship, but God has provided a solution in giving us His Son, Jesus Christ. John 3.16 tells us that for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, so that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. You have an opportunity today to respond with a confession of faith and a decision to believe in Jesus. Today, we invite you to make a deliberate decision to invite Jesus Christ to be your personal Lord and Saviour. Romans 10.10 says that with our hearts we believe and are justified, and with our mouths we confess and we are saved. So right now, if you have faith in your heart and you're ready to make that decision, you can simply pray this prayer with me. Dear God, I thank you that you love me so much that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. Thank you that through his death and resurrection, I am forgiven of my sin to start a brand new life. Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me, cleanse me and to fill me with the power of your Holy Spirit. Today, I choose you as my Lord and Saviour and I thank you that I am now born again as a child of God. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, we would love to know and we would love to help you in any way that we can. You can contact us on our Bridge Church website, bridgechurch.com, and we'd love to hear from you. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you have been challenged and encouraged. 